if you've been uh, watching, you know, one of your favorite shows over a streaming service, uh, one of the things that um, you have the rare opportunity of is anticipating the next episode because they drop the entire season. And so the way that we, uh, you know, have content uh, these days is that you can get to the end of that episode and, and even if it's a cliffhanger, you can just click next episode and just get right to the next one. Now, obviously, uh, that hasn't always been the case. And so for those of you who maybe grew up watching TV in the 60s, uh, you you might remember what it was like to have to uh, tune into the same bat time at the same bat channel to find out what was going to happen next. It's like an entire week. Uh, if you were uh, watching, uh, you know, for you maybe were really thankful that when television rolled around in the 70s and Fonzie was going to jump that shark, that he did that all in one episode, you know, because well, that would have been a real cliffhanger. So they did that. They wrapped that one all up in a half an hour. If you grew up watching TV in the 80s, then, uh, you know, like like myself, maybe you'd watch the A-Team and you're like, oh, my goodness, the episode ends and. And uh, here you are, a little kid watching the A-Team, and you're like, will they have enough tools in that barn next week to convert this 1986 Chevy Malibu into a fully functional armored tank? Who knows? But the, the, whole, uh, the whole feeling of, you know, to be continued, it just draws the listener in. It's a powerful storytelling uh, device. Nigel's watching a new Star Wars uh, series on Disney Plus called The Bad Batch. And so you got to wait for that next episode to drop, right? And uh, our text for today very much has that feel of to be continued. Uh, this is Ascension Sunday, which takes place 40 days uh, after Easter. Well, Ascension Day was Thursday of this week, 40 days after Easter. And we celebrate that um, for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus Christ was continually revealing himself, the resurrected Christ uh, to many people, to many eyewitnesses. And so when you come to the book of Acts, which is our text for this morning, we're going to read Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses in a couple minutes. Um, but it feels very much like to be continued from the book of the Gospel of Luke. And that's because Luke and Acts are actually volume 1, volume 2. The only reason they're separated in our Bibles is because scrolls can only get so long. So volume 1 is the Gospel of Luke and volume 2 is the book of Acts. They call that a literary bifid. So it's really all one story, but Luke ends and it feels very much like to be continued with the resurrection of Christ. And then we pick it up at the ascension. So um, this feeling of to be continued is very exciting if you're following an epic narrative, but it's not exciting at all if you feel like to be continued is your life, (laughs) the story of your life. Right now, our lives feel very much like to be continued. We tune into the news what's going to happen this week, what's going on in our province, what's going on in the city, our country, the world, and everything feels like to be continued. Our, our lives and our futures feel like to be continued. It's not as exciting as it is disconcerting. But I have good news this morning. I mean, even though we live in these days of incredible uncertainty, the uncertainty that you observe with your eyes, it will not consume your hearts with this gospel ringing and resounding in your ears. And so we're going to go to God's word this morning and we're going to read Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days 
And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Now this is a lot to take in. If you have joined us this morning and you're exploring Christianity, um, this is a lot to take in. You've got a human Jesus. You've got a resurrected, glorified human Jesus passing from our earthly realm into the realm of God So we want to be thoughtful about this text. This morning is all about celebrating this text. Um, But before I I get into that, I just want to quickly say, very briefly, for those of you who are exploring faith, that, you know, verse 3 talks about him giving them many proofs. We just read that. He says he gave them many proofs uh, that he was alive. For 40 days, um, Jesus was appearing. And uh, so for those of you who are exploring Christian faith, our faith is not founded on a missing body. It's not a missing body theory. That's not what we don't get together every Sunday and celebrate and worship and with our fingers crossed, like they never found the body. So maybe he resurrected. It's not a missing body. It's a resurrected body. It's a, it is a resurrected Jesus that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail on that, but if you would like me to talk with you more about the historical reasons why it's reasonable to believe in the resurrection and the ascension, then you can reach out to me through our website. I'd be happy to have a one-on-one convo with you and we can go through that. But suffice it to say, the New Testament doesn't shy away from fact-checking. It actually invites fact-checking. Right? When Jesus was going to the cross, it didn't just say he fell down and some guy grabbed his cross. It says a man named Simon from Cyrene who had two kids and his kids' names were Alexander and Rufus. In other words, it's like all these ancient footnotes to say, go fact check this stuff. And so all those first century Christians had all this plethora of detail through the New Testament to believe in the resurrection. Jesus was buried in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and he was a well-known, wealthy uh, man in the city and in the synagogue and his Jesus burial was not private it was super public everybody knew where he was buried and this wasn't done in a corner so there's lots of reasons why we can look and say Christian faith is not founded on merely a spiritual claim or a theological claim we celebrate every Sunday as Christians because everything we believe is is not only a spiritual truth but it's a historical truth and so it gives us great, great hope. So this morning, as we um, look at this ascension, I want us to think about um, a few things. The first thing that I want us to consider is that Christ's ascension has personal significance for us. Secondly, after the personal significance, I want us to think about how Christ's ascension enabled him to, to continue 
his ministry through us. And then lastly, I want us to think about how the ascension has eternal implications that re-envision us for Monday. It's not just something that's out there, you know, spiritual and wild out in the out in the stratosphere someplace, but it matters on Monday. So first, let's let's look at um, the personal significance for us. The ascension it creates hope, hope in something very concrete. Again, this resurrected Christ, the historical uh, uh, proofs that he went to great lengths to show himself to many witnesses. This all creates tremendous hope about the eternal. It's not just hope and hope. Uh, it's in something that's concrete. Um, this ascension was written in a way that it, for us as modern Westerners, we just sort of read it and nothing really resonates with us because it, we, it doesn't land the same way it would have for the first readers. But this whole thing is constructed like a coronation ceremony. It's like a royal ceremony, the language of Christ's ascension. It's not just about like spatially going going upwards. It's actually a coronation. It's an ascension into, into uh, power this sort of a spectacular sort of throne room processional. In verse nine, it says Jesus went up. The Greek word for, for up, is, uh, is, it does mean directional, but it's not just directional. The Greek word is epairo, and epairo means to ascend, and it's, not, it's the ascension to power. So what we're supposed to really get here is that Jesus has left, um, after he defeats death and he's raised, and eyewitnesses see him, he leaves the limitations of our time and space and he, our earthly realm and he passes into the realm of God the Father. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. So it's like it's a picture of the limitless scope of authority that he has. And the reason why this creates such tremendous hope is because it begins to bring things full circle. The God of creation is the God of recreation. Um, that the one who created us is the one who saves us and will restore us. When you look back at the very beginning of the Bible and book of Genesis, the realm of God, the realm of earth are kissing. They're overlapping. The realm of God and the realm of humanity is, is in this sort of mysterious and poetic, the way Genesis describes it, but they're mingling together. And sin separates us from God, but the restoration of Jesus Christ and what's coming in the end, where revelation takes us, is that that commingling comes back. That there is a restoration, that there is a return, that there is a that there is, there is this, this um, overlapping again of what God intended in the beginning is restored in the end. And so the, the significance of all this is massive uh, because a lot of our modern conversations around heaven is it's kind of like we talk about going to heaven, like you leave earth and then you go to the spiritual place and you float around there for a while. And that is not first century New Testament Christianity. That is not the way any of the ancient writers of Christianity ever talked about heaven. That's the way Plato talked about the afterlife. That's the way Plutarch talked about the afterlife. Um, leave this, leave this yucky physical stuff and go to the spiritual. That's the way the Greco-Roman philosophers talked about heaven. But that's not the way the Christians understood it, because they understood this glorified bodily Jesus as being significant, sort of a teaser trailer as to their future. So this all has massive implications that are like supremely personal, because it means our King, He rules over us, He guides us, He loves us. He forgives us. He unites himself to, uh, to us. He's given his spirit to empower us, to cleanse us. So the whole Christian life is not about following arbitrary ethics. It's about loving a king. 
And those of you, many of you here at Redeemer, you have young children. And what is your goal? When Susan and I have raised our three kids, what has our goal been for our children? It's not like guys were Christians and therefore there's these following ethics and you got to follow these religious rules because this is what makes God happy. Well, in one sense, yes, that's true, but that's not really, that's not really the primary goal of parenting young children in the ways of God. The primary goal is to get them to marvel at the king, be, have their hearts and minds blown away by the king, love the king. And at, because they are following a king, they therefore desire the rule and reign of the king. And so this is just has massive implications for us that are supremely personal. We get this great sense of peace because it means that Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he could do. And that means our sin is forgiven. It means it's gone. It's tremendous. So as the New Testament moves on and starts talking about the day of the Lord, the return of the king, judgment day, judgment day for the Christian. This is not something that is talked about to worry us. In fact, quite often when you look at how Paul talked about it in Thessalonians, he would say, I'm saying this to you. I'm talking about judgment day to actually encourage you. This is actually to be an encouraging thing because the judge is the justifier, the one who ascended to power, the one who's coming back has united you. He has forgiven you. I'm going to share a story to depict this. I've told this story before a couple of years ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's just such, uh, for me, um, this sort of this incredible um, modern day, uh, sort of modern day parable um, as to uh, as to what what this means. So I'm going to just quickly um, show you something on on uh, on my screen here. Now, years ago, I coached uh, football. And you guys know that because I've talked about it before. Coach football here in the city for the Waterloo Warhawks. And uh, my, my son Isaiah played. There he is. You can see him circled there. And, uh, and when I coached Isaiah, uh, he had an opportunity to play at the Rogers Center before one of the Toronto Argonauts football games. It was right before kickoff. So the stadium was uh, still filling up. And so there would have been thousands of people there easily. Thousands of people. The Argos games would get... Not massive crowds, 20,000 people at an Argos game. So before kickoff, let's say there's 10,000 people there. The stadium's half full. When you're a little kid, that's a massive crowd. That's a, if you're not a little kid, that's a massive crowd, 10,000 people, thousands and thousands of people. And if you've ever been to one of these professional games, they cheer like crazy for the kids when the kids are, are running with the ball. The, the place goes nuts. So we were so excited about this opportunity. Well, we hit the 401 and there was massive traffic. And I am freaking out like, oh my goodness, there's this amazing opportunity for, for us and we might miss it because this traffic is horrendous. We get off the 401, we get to the lakeshore, same thing, terrible. We finally get downtown Toronto, we get to the Rogers Center, I park the car, Isaiah and I get out, we start running towards the stadium. And as we get to the gate, where there's a special gate, uh, player's entrance gate, that just takes you right to the player's area and right out onto the field. And as we get to the gate, we're running towards the gate and there's security there and they do not ask any questions. They just open the doors and we ran right in and we ran under the tunnel and I was running through the tunnel. There was security in the tunnels and Isaiah and I were just running through that tunnel. They didn't ask us any questions. They just let us go right through. We get to the end of the, the tunnel to the entrance to the field and there's security guards there to make sure, of course, you know, fans and people don't run on the field. 
And here comes Isaiah and I running onto the field and they take one look at us. They don't ask any questions. We just run straight onto the field. Why? Because of how we were clothed. We didn't get in on the basis of my coaching record. We didn't get in on the basis of Isaiah's running record. We didn't get on the basis. We did not get access on the basis of anything that we did whatsoever. The only reason we ran from the parking lot onto the field at the Rogers Center with everybody opening doors for us all the way there was because of how we were clothed. And church, this is the significance of the ascension. We are clothed in Christ. And it is on that basis that with tremendous freedom and confidence that we go into the throne room of God is with tremendous freedom and confidence that we approach the day-to-day knowing that our very lives are in the hands of God. We have been forgiven, accepted, and adopted. And this ascended Christ, he is our advocate. He is in the throne room of heaven. He is answering every accusation against you. Think about this last year in COVID, in and out of lockdowns and all this stuff. Think of, think for a moment of how much you and I have shown our sinfulness to our family, to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to our coworkers, to each other. Think for a moment of how often the message of our lives as Christians has sounded (laughs) no different than what everybody else is saying. We've been just as anxious, just as worried, just as frustrated. We've... The, the, the world has said, our, our lives can't be in the hands of the government. And as Christians, how often have we just sounded exactly the same thing? Oh, our lives can't be in the hands of the... Whose life do we think our... Uh, whose hands do we think our lives are in? Just think of the amount of distrust and worry and anxiety. Think of it. Think of how that has played out in relationships and created tension in our homes. Think of all of this thing. And now I have good news for you. Every time you and I have miserably failed... The ascended king, the ascended Christ, the one sitting seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, is continually saying over every thought and word and deed that we've done that is sinful, he is continually saying, I have paid the price. It is finished. The verdict is they are not guilty. They are clothed in me. The significance of the ascension is supremely personal. It's amazing. Jesus Christ, he descended into the clutches of death to redeem us from the guilt of sin and he ascended into the realm of heaven and he has sent us the Holy Spirit to increasingly unravel our hearts from the grip of sin. And so it doesn't matter what we've done and how deeply flawed and sinful and foolish we've been. God looks on us and he sees infinite beauty because of the ascended Christ. This is the significance. Jesus Christ was humiliated in his death, but he was vindicated in his ascension. Let's move on to the second thing, which is that Christ's ascension, it enabled him to continue his ministry through us. He does this by his Holy Spirit. He does this as we become witnesses. In verse four, Jesus says to his disciples, now listen, uh, don't go uh, until I go. Don't go until the gift of the the Father has come. What in the world could possibly be so important that it halts the Great Commission? The indwelling power of the Spirit. This isn't the first time that the Spirit has come, but he's coming in a new way. The Son of God leaves and the Spirit of God comes. And all throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit is coming upon people for a season. But here now, after the ascension of Christ, the Spirit will come 
not on some people, but on all God's people, and not for a season, but to dwell with us daily. And so there's this profound empowerment that is coming now uh, by the power of the Spirit, that Jesus Christ's early earthly ministry is, is ending, but his heavenly ministry is, of course, continued. And so what's going on here is, is again, Luke and Acts, volume one, volume two, we don't want to read volume one, the gospel of Luke, like, here's all the things that Jesus did. And then volume two, like, well, Jesus passed the baton. Go for it, church. No, 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 no. God is not passing the impossible divine responsibility of salvation onto a deeply flawed, deeply, you know, ill-equipped church. He is coming to empower the church, and then he is coming to continue what he's been doing since the beginning, uh, his saving work through you and I, through us, the church. This should actually give us tremendous confidence in our evangelism and tremendous confidence in being witnesses because we know that the very burden and weight of saving power is not resting in you and I, but it is continues to be in God, continues to be in his spirit, who has always done the saving work and will continue to do it. So he is using his ordinary flawed church, but we share his extraordinary flawless gospel and he continues to do what he's always done. God, from the beginning, since, since uh, Genesis, has not chosen to bypass his creation and just move sovereignly apart from his creation. God has sovereignly moved through his creation, partnered with his creation, there's this like this mysterious picture of God being sovereign and humans being totally responsible and God continuing to, continuing to move through us. And so that is true of you and I today, becoming these witnesses that the Holy Spirit is not an abstract power. He's a person and he's not this obscure sort of power force from God, but the Holy Spirit, he is God and he is with us and he indwells us and he empowers us. And what is the work of the Spirit? What does he empower us for? Not for successful businesses, not to find the parking spaces and great deals and at the mall. He's not empowering us for increasing lives of comfort and success by our standards. That's not what he's up to. The Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ, bears witness of the teachings of Christ, of who Christ was, and then he empowers us and makes us witnesses. In other words, life change real deep life change that increasingly we would resemble Jesus. Of course, it takes the entirety of our, of our lives for that renewal to continue, but this is what the Spirit is up to. He's making us witnesses. So what does it look like then? And what does it look like to be a witness? If that's the whole purpose for which the Spirit has come, verse eight, right? The Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses. What does it look like? It looks like boldness to share this gospel. Yes, we celebrate it on Sunday, but we are bold to share it on Monday. We are bold witnesses. Um, it, it looks like a specific message, the specific message of Christ, his love, his forgiveness, his death, his resurrection for our sin, the, return, the renewal of all things. It looks like boldness to speak this way. It also looks uh, very practical. It's not just spiritual, it's, it's practical um, in the sense that the sharing of the gospel is a specific message. But to bear witness of that means our, there's actual life change. And so um, when Michael Changer was with us uh, preaching, he used the phrase, um, 
he used the phrase uh, fleshy witness. That's how he talked about it, that it's very fleshy, it's practical. This global expansion of Christian faith in the first century, it wasn't done by this small team of Avengers, you know, these, um, these eloquent preachers. It was all these spirit-filled witnesses, uh, these spirit-filled witnesses who had rest in a world that was at great unrest. And they gave this defense for their hope in a world that was clamoring for hope. It's not any different than it is today. And we have rest in this world that's at great unrest. And in the same way that God used the simple lips of that early church, he uses the simple lips of this church, which leads us to the final thing. The last thing this morning is that Christ's ascension, it has these eternal implications that re-envision us for Monday, right? We begin to view Monday in light of eternity. You've got challenges on Monday. You've got things you've got to deal with on Monday. Perhaps you wish you had challenges and things to deal with on Monday because there's been this droning monotony of of the last year that we've sort of been living in as we, you know, go through this pandemic in a slog. And Monday presents all these challenges. So what what does it mean? The ascension, it re-envisions us to to think about Monday in light of eternity. In verse 6, right after Jesus talks about the power of the Spirit coming, the first thing they say is, oh, well, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They immediately go political. I mean, that's totally understandable. I mean, you and I would, it's a very honest question. You and I would ask the exact same question. Right? Oh, well, that's what it means. You've, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And well, of course, well, what he must be up to is to make sure that this culture then becomes Christianized and everything that, you know, you restore the kingdom so that we can legislate everything in accordance with our worldviews because, of course, we worship you, Jesus, right? Wrong. Right? God was not up to something political, and today he's not up to something uh, uh, political, small p, political. He, he, he's up to something eternal. He's actually doing work in you and I so that regardless what happens in small p politics, we as a church um, are now living to the glory of our king, and we are now being witnesses of of his goodness and his love um, in us. And so God is up to dealing with not their immediate political problem, but their ultimate problem, which of course was, was death. And you relate to Monday quite differently when you remember that God has already dealt with your greatest problem definitively. You will deal with Monday quite differently whether it's uh, the challenges of your vocation or relationships or family, or you're going through things uh, at school, the uncertainty of the future. Maybe you have, have frustrations with your health, the weakness of your body. You know, you, you, there's, there's nothing going on in your life that can swallow your joy uh, when this gospel is truly ringing and resounding in your ears. And in verse 11, uh, the, the angels show up on the scene and they say to the disciples as they're staring at Jesus who's moved into the realm of God, they say, why are you standing around looking at the sky? And I want to close our sermon by thinking about this. The fact that what the Spirit is up to in you and I is that we don't, we're not just standing around. Uh, we're, we're, we're bearing witness of uh, what we believe to be true and therefore this gospel is not this opium that just sort of sedates us, as you've heard me say many times. The gospel <coughs> is like smelling salts that wakes us up, wakes the church up to be witnesses. You know, in this last year of COVID, the way in which we have 
had to minister as a church the way you and I, and I don't just mean corporately at Redeemer, I mean individually you as ministers reaching out and caring for one another, that's been supremely challenged. But the Spirit has not been challenged. The Spirit is not limited. You and I have been limited in many ways. The Spirit is not limited. We have some baptisms coming up this fall of people who've come to faith in Christ through this. And I hope that, that, that as those baptisms occur, they're like electricity in your bones to believe what I am saying. That the Spirit is not limited. That as we uh, continue to reach out, we're not just sort of staring up into the sky. And I'm, I want to encourage you to continue. It, it, they may seem to be small and unassuming ways, but don't stare into the sky. Send the text. Make the phone call. Go for the walk. Connect and encourage one another. Continue to be ministers. Meet your neighbors. Stand in the driveway. We aren't standing in the sky. We're, we're going to do it. It's been challenging, no doubt, but we are going to continue to do that. There's a refugee family living on Albert Street who is of the recipients of blessing because you have been generous financially. We've been able to care for those refugees. There are three overdoses a day in our city from teenagers ODing on drugs who are making use of the one roof uh, youth shelter. And because of your generosity, they have a defibrillator there now that is literally going to save lives because you have been willing to give of your finances, right? I talked earlier today about the KW Pregnancy Center, about caring for those women. Um, we're not standing around staring into the sky, but we want to be active ministers. We, all of us wish that we could do more and be more active. And of course, those days will come, but don't be disheartened, church. Continue to care and love and be witnesses. And you will be willing to give your life away when this ascension really drops deeply down into your heart and you believe it. You'll be willing to give your time and your life away. You won't just simply say, I'm going to just sit back in my life of comfort and write a check and somebody else can do it. You will want to give your life away and and love and care for people when you see that the harsh realities of all of this life find their death swallowed up in Christ's death, that we that 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 time is uh, God's ally that he's using to bring the restoration of all things. This is this life change. And so you being a witness is not a matter of oratory skills and being eloquent and saying all the right things in the right way. That's not about being a witness. If you believe this gospel, if your life has been changed by the power of the Spirit, you are qualified, you are a witness. He said, be witnesses about life change. And so um, this is how we walk out the implications of this ascension on Monday. And so pray for the grace to do this because in the first century, they were at risk of physical death. Uh, In our century, it's not physical death, it might be social death. And some of you may need to pray for the grace and the boldness to share your faith in the face of what you believe is gonna be social death, but to be able to push past that. Um, And so in verse 11, they say, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way that you've, you've seen him go. And uh, this explicitly speaks about the return of the king. And as I said earlier, you know, Plato talked about the end goal, leaving the physical and floating around in the ethereal. That's how they understood heaven. You leave earth and you go someplace else. If you have friends who are Muslims, when they talk about heaven, they talk about leaving here and going there and staying there. And this material universe doesn't end up, end up mattering in the end. I spent hours and hours talking with a young man from the Baha'i faith over the last uh, uh, number of months. Hours and hours talking with this young man. And as we talked about the importance of you know, justice and mercy in the world today, 
it came, became very clear that for, for the Baha'i faith, again, you're leaving and you're somewhere else spiritual and, and, and ethereal. Karmic, karmic religions, it's the same thing. Again, this, out of this cycle of doing good and then in the end it benefiting you and you, uh, the goal being to get out of that cycle and into the Brahman, into the, you know, the all soul where there's no you, there's no me, there's just us, this sort of nebulous idea of the spiritual. All These are all ideas, but the Christian view is none of these things. This is the significance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus because in the end, it's what everybody wants. In the end, the, resurre- the ascension and the return of the king, I mean, this is what, this is the deepest longing of the human soul. This is why when Paul stood in Athens and talked about the resurrection and the, the Athenians said, we will hear you again on this matter. I stood there in that spot with Susan in Athens with this outdoor stone amphitheater where people would stand up and just sort of share their philosophy. And that's what you did, you know, you didn't have Netflix. People would sit down and listen to people's different philosophies on life and all manner of things. They sit there and they Think about it. Paul gets up, talks about the resurrection. This is not any unlike anything they'd ever heard. I thought the material was bad and the spiritual was good, but that's not what God is up to. He's restoring all things. Isn't that what all of your friends and neighbors want? Don't they want healthy bodies that are going to last for forever? I think so. Don't they? What, uh, they, what they're not articulating and what they want is what the gospel promises. This restored world, this world of love and joy and unity and peace, where everybody puts their guns down, where everybody's bodies are healthy, This is the promise of the gospel. This is the hope of Christianity. And so we don't just stare into the sky. We don't just say, well, we'll grit our teeth until Jesus comes back and do that. This is what gives gives significance to all of the work that we do in the here and now because we are agents of renewal. We are ministers who are wanting to emulate the Christ who has ascended. We're a part of it. We're not responsible to do it. We won't do it. We don't clean the earth up and then God looks down and goes, good job, everything's been legislated in congruence with Christianity, I'll return now. This is not what's going on. Christ will bring these things and do these things. But between now and then, you and I are these bold ministers waiting for the renewal of all things. And so uh, Christ's ascension and his eminent return, it means that all of the good things that we are enjoying in this life, they are just a taste of what is coming, of what we will enjoy for forever. And every sorrowful thing will be eradicated forever, right? Do you, I remember being a kid and being like, heaven, is, heaven sounds boring. Preachers would make it sound like you just, you just sing for all of eternity. It's an eternal church service. And I adopted that idea and I went and talked about it that way. And people are like, Christians are like silently like, I don't think heaven sounds as good as what's going on right now because we get this weird idea of what heaven is. But what we get in the resurrection of Christ and the promise of his return is something very different. Do you like the majesty of nature? Do you enjoy the wonder of the stars, the trips to the lake, the waves crashing on the beach, the buzz of the city, the innovation of, of, of humanity, all of these things, good news of what it means to be human is that heaven is round trip, the restoration of all things, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth that were in the beginning of Genesis will be restored in the end. So yes, Monday is uncertain, but that uncertainty will not consume you when the reality of this gospel is resonating in your heart and in your soul. Let's pray.